Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I come to you today from my purple couch in my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we are in audio-only format because I encourage you to allow yourself the freedom and the liberation to place yourself mentally in that place where you have these inspirations. I'm joined here by my podcast production assistant, Princess Alessandra Francesca, who at some point may attempt to step on the keyboard. But right now she's being pretty well behaved because she's excited about our topic as much as I am, which is about getting rid of cheesy team building techniques in favor of genuine connection. I'm going to hold off on my rant on this because believe me, I have one. And we're just going to see where it plugs in. And I am going to introduce you to our guest today, who is somebody who, when I introduce him, you are going to understand. This is somebody who probably knows a little bit about leadership. We're going to be speaking with Major General Scott Clancy, OMMSMCB, who serves in the Canadian Armed Forces as a tactical helicopter pilot. He taught tactics at the Army Staff College and planned expeditionary operations at all levels of the Royal Canadian Air Force. And before retiring after his distinguished 37-year career, he served as the Deputy Commander of the Alaska NORAD region, and finally, as the Director of Operations for all NORAD in Colorado Springs. So, from coaching his son's basketball teams to his career in the RCAF, Scott's entire career has focused on leading people well, as he covers in his upcoming book, Developing Coaching Leaders, the fundamentals and techniques that make leaders extraordinary. I can't wait to hear more about this. Uh, Major General Clancy, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me. And Ed Scott. Okay, absolutely. I was planning on calling you Scott beyond that beyond that point as well. So let's um, let's get started here. I read off your official bio. This is so impressive. I'm pretty sure I'm not even worthy to be here. And this is my show. So what we like to do here, and I know you have a lot of things you, that we want to cover here, because uh, this is a very, very charged topic. Let's pull back the curtain. Tell us in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to this point, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Aside from your professional exploits, like what has inspired you to do it, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, that's a that's a great question, Adam. And, uh, you know, 
I know how smart you are by listening to the kind of stuff that you get deep into with the people you have on your show. And I think that the insights that the insights that you provide to your listeners are so extraordinary that uh, yeah, you're sitting, I'm sitting in very good company uh, as we have this conversation. So, so thank you very much for that lovely introduction. Yeah. My, my journey to, you know, why I'm here with you today, I think has to do more with the last few years of me serving as a military person, as a, you know, what would be a two-star general in, in your service, in yeah. your military, uh, and and writing this book was really about the more that I looked at leaders in the military, coaches that, you know, I was around, I started to get a real sense that the leaders I saw achieving really good things, they weren't just leading their teams. They were coaching the people and the teams to maximize their potential, really coaching them along. And then the more that I coached basketball and I coached right up to and including the toughest division in Canadian college basketball, I was watching these coaches and a lot of them were, were doing the exact same leadership things that I, I'd seen out of the leading side. And at the same time, I was becoming more self-aware about my own leadership. You know, that as I became a general, it was extraordinarily important for me to set up not just an example to the people that, uh, you know, I was leading. I was always mentoring leaders uh, throughout my entire career. But more than that, I had to set up institutions, you know, the Air Force and the Karen Forces overall, I, I was responsible for portions of it. So that systemically, you're developing leaders. And so in the last portion of my career, I was becoming very reflective about what it was to lead getting into this. And then when I left the service, <laughs> I really did want to retire. But I had something left to give. I always wanted to be of service and I always wanted to share knowledge. So, you know, when I started thinking about writing, it, it was immediate that there was this intersection between coaching and leading that I wanted to talk about. And uh, the, the last thing that really, that really kind of stuck in the back of my head is that the more that I thought about the people in inside of our organizations and I talked to business leaders and senior government officials, especially at the end of my career, there was such a common thing happening inside of our teams where leaders were disconnected from their teams, where they weren't invested in the development of the people on their teams, that the majority, if not all of the conversations they were having was about the interactions on performance of what they can do, you know, the minute by minute binary transactions of work, as opposed to the relationship that they create with their people. And then the teams themselves, when I talked to people, they were completely disconnected from their leaders and they did not believe their leaders had their best interest or their development at heart. And then it was all about the job. So, you know, writing the book was about trying to give people tools to bridge those gaps and resolve some of those problems. That's kind Absolutely. of what Absolutely. So when I think of team building exercises, I think of some of the most hokey, annoying things that you can ever imagine. Uh, for for example, I remember when I was in college, I was a resident assistant, uh, an RA. So the week before everybody else reported for fall semester, we went a week early and did a week of RA training. And the team building exercises um, largely consisted of performing 
feats of physical endurance, like lifting each other above our heads and and uh, pushing them over our heads like they were uh, like they were caterpillars or something. I, I don't know. And I'm thinking, how is this how is this really going to bond me with these folks who I'm going to be sharing duty nights with and uh, and doing programming with uh, and building cultures with? It's like I, I don't I don't I don't get this. And then move fast forward into when I moved into entrepreneurship and I have a business that's basically done online and through Zoom calls. And I, I get on these project groups and things like that. And it starts with, let's have everybody go around and introduce themselves. And by the time it got to me, I'm thinking of that that scene from the movie Scarface when Tony goes up to meet Hector to to uh, do the drug deal. And uh, Hector says, come on, I just want to get to know you. And Tony says, well, if you want to get to know me, start doing business with me. And in a way, that's kind of how I feel. You want to get to know me, let's let's do something together. We will get to know each other a lot faster that way. That's just my personal view on it. And first of all, I'd like to just test that whole idea. Do we really need a lot of formal team building development? Or is this something that happens more when the team is actually doing stuff together. I think that you've seen and be part of a lot of cheesy team building stuff. But at the same time, I would postulate that any event, any encounter, any meeting could be a great team building event as well. It really depends on the leaders and the team. So, so for example, I mean, you great example when you were an RA but I think it's cheesy because I'm not really sure they knew as people who were organizing it or even imparted onto you why that was important why is it important for you to understand how to work and get along with the person next to you so you could create all sorts of little crucibles where people would do things so that they could work together inside of that environment but quite honestly, what you're trying to do is really replacing the core work that leaders have to do to make sure that that team is set up for success, that is pulling together, and that the members of the team understand how they have to work together. So if we're starting with teamwork, you know, the military is a, a great organization to use as an example, where people will say, if you put a group of people into a, a group, make them all the same, more or less. And then give them the exact same jobs. And the only way that they can accomplish them is the team works together. You'll get good teamwork. Now, I'm not convinced that that those things alone are what create good teamwork. I think what starts with good teamwork is the idea that there's an investment individually in the collectiveness of the team first. So for right. example, you know, it, it, it could it be a team of one? Yes. I mean you know, if we want to ha have an academic niche, but you don't have to have a really good teamwork in the teamwork of one, you just have to inspire that individual. But if you're going to inspire a team, they all have to believe in the vision. They all have to believe in the goal first. So just doing a team building exercise, I'm not sure you know what you're going to accomplish. Now, the counter side to that is pick that cheesy teamwork event of lifting someone. If I frame that properly, walking in, 
look, I need you guys to be able to work together because of this. I need you to get to know and understand each other and your weaknesses so that you can cover those things off. Some people are better communicators. Some people are like this. So this is about getting to know which characteristics and how you do things well and how you can learn and work together in this. And that's fine. The introduction thing, I think, is another great example. I think it's important for people to know and understand who's working. But but quite honestly, I'm not really sure Zoom calls are the best way to go about that. I think you can be more creative about that. But again, I go back to what is it that you want to get across? So instead of everybody say something about yourself, it's what is the most important thing about our business that we're not talking about? Say that. And and then maybe start as a leader, right? And so I always think that one of the key elements to team building is that leadership piece. Now, as I said, it's framing. That's the leader's job. But the real thing is connection. Members of the team need to be connected. There's, I always say connect two ways. Connect people on a relationship level, like on a one-on-one -on -one level. So they have to be connected with each other. They have to be invested. And then the second thing is they have to be connected to the team and its vision and their development inside of that vision. If those, if those two connections happen, then really you're going to create that center point for teamwork. And, and to be honest, it's leaders that need to set that stage. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's easier said than done and you may have a team that's struggling to find cohesion which you might call a difficult team so how do we how do we deal with that i'm going to go back to the the connection piece and i'm going to give two quick tips all right connect connect two ways translate two ways okay so connect two ways i, I always say that uh, leadership and coaching uh, are emotional trust relationships. Now, what mm -hmm. I mean by that is, you know, it's it's at an emotional level. So if, if we're going to work as part of a team, Adam and Scott are going to work together. I need to connect you emotionally with what we're going to do. If you really don't care, then this is going to just be a binary transaction that neither one of us are invested in in any way, shape, or form. Right. Second thing, there's, there has to be a mutual trust. Now, I always think about trust you know a little bit leader and subordinate kind of way but that's my military background and trust though is is a fact of you know you have to in if you're invested in an individual then you're going to have to give and expect a certain amount of trust and then finally that it's a relationship just like any other human relationship you can't think about it just as a transaction or just as something you do no it's a relationship so when i say connect two ways connect the individual with the material so as a leader, you have to set the vision for the team, where they're going. You have to light the fire under them as to why this is important. You know, military folks, uh, this mission has to be flown. We have to go here. Here's the way it has to get done. This is the breakdown. And this is what it means to you and then to you. And, the, you know, that's connecting people to the, the task at hand. Second thing is you need to connect them and their development inside of that, of that mission. It can't be just about, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Okay. Cause that's, that's going to be binary. That's going to be transactional until you explain to them, Hey, this is how you're going to be developing in this. This is where I need to get you to. And this is when you're going to be replacing me ultimately as the leader in this thing over time. Oh, okay. And what you're effectively doing there is you're translating two ways. 
You're translating the vision as to what it means for them practically, and you're translating their development and their success. They're maximizing their potential over time to be able to get there. So when I think about transforming difficult teams, that's where I start with. Connect two ways, translate two ways. When I think about having to deal with some of the people who've been disenfranchised at all rank levels within the Royal Canadian Air Force and the Canadian Air Forces that I've had the opportunity to mentor over time. Once I've done those things, 99% of the time, you're, you've now gotten down to the root causes of what is causing that, that difficulty amongst that team. Right. And how, in your experience, like, because sometimes this stuff is underlying, how do you surface those undercurrents because that can be easier said than done and i believe that it stems from communication but if you don't have the foundation of trust and communication how do you even bring that up in the first place i think you're absolutely right now i i see communication obviously as a tool but a tool that a lot of leaders don't use effectively and there's a lot of work out there about listening and you know in the book you know i go through in, in quite a little bit of detail on a paradigm i have with respect to you know building a bridge to the other side of a river where the person that you're attempting to communicate with he, they own the other bank so you can't build that bridge unless you can establish that connection to them the active listening listening to understand techniques in here are extraordinarily important so i think that's foundational and i think you're very right but to me, it's a tool to get after that individual connection. I remember, I, I, I see this as an emotional trust relationship. So if you're going to connect with an individual, remember we said connect two ways. First thing you have to do is establish that relationship. And you're not going to do that with, okay, Adam, today we're going to work on this or uh, welcome to the new job. Uh, here's your things. Here's your tools. Okay, get on with it. No, you, you, it's a relationship. So you're going to have to get to know this individual. Where is it that you aspire to go? Why are you really here? And and a lot of times these opening salvos in creating that relationship, people are uncomfortable with that. They're not used to bosses talking to them about things that might be, you know, I want to get beyond the surface of just why you're taking this paycheck to what it is that you want to get to and where you're going. Sometimes it takes more than one meeting and patience is another tool that leaders and team members need to employ to try and to get to know people. But once you establish that connection, you've started down the path of a great relationship because you're going to have a work relationship with this individual. But having that personal connection will enable you to get after what they need to be their best. And so to me, getting after those root causes by showing a care. Now, I'm going to give another tool and it's almost the opposite side of that I care, I'm here, I want to get to know you piece, which is honest and frank feedback, which is all about accountability. So for example, a lot of the difficult situations that I'd have to mentor people through happen when you know I get thrust into a situation as a senior leader and get given a, an individual who's struggling either because they want to leave the organization or because something's gone wrong they've you know they've gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble or they've for the first time been told they're no longer going to advance in the organization and in a military organization where you're moving in rank every you know number of years and and that's how you advance within the organization 
being told that you know that's done you're done now you've now maximized your 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 capacity or your potential but that's something that a lot of people struggle with being able to have honest and frank conversations with people throughout their careers this is another part of the tools that i do not see leaders and coaches using so you get to a point where you've established a relationship with someone and i've had to do some of these things on very short order because of people getting themselves into a little bit of trouble, then you're having a frank conversation with an individual that's going to be very uncomfortable, but facing that conversation, that uncomfortableness and giving them frank feedback. Okay, look, I know you're a colonel. I know you'd like to be a general. However, you haven't done this. You haven't done this. Your peers are doing this and this and this. You are not. You're spending time here, but you're not spending time here and you're not developing like this. So I don't understand where you think magically you're going to advance. And ha having a conversation like that, even using more tact <laughs> than in that sense, you're still going to have an honest and frank conversation with the individual. And, and what I've found is that by having those uncomfortable conversations and be willing to care through them, and elevate the relationship above whatever binary transaction we're having of the day, whether it's a performance review or anything else, where the relationship you're having with the, the individual is more important than that. By doing those things, I think you get after those root causes. And my experience has been that has drawn them out. Right, right. So just to put it out there, uh, what if you're dealing with somebody, because you alluded to this, what if somebody's purpose for being there is in fact because they want to do a job and get paid for it? And that's fine. Yeah. I've had I've had people tell me that. So, you know, I, I had to mentor hundreds of, you know, senior officers. And at one point in time in almost everybody's career, they get to a point where they say, you know what? I'm geographically fixed in place. My kids are in school. I don't want to move. I don't want a different job. I know my job. I just want to do it. I don't want to advance. I don't want to get any better. And I don't want to work any longer hours. I just kind of want to do my biz. Right. There's a value to that. And what I find is, especially in military organizations, everybody has to be moving up. And you're going, no, a lot of people can just be expert in that space. By acknowledging that, not only acknowledging that, but finding opportunity to have that shine where people are going to, this is, so can I use you as an expert? I mean, you have to get, sometimes you have to get creative with how you do things to make sure that the value that this individual brings to the organization is clearly valued. Now, some people just want a paycheck and they don't right. want anything, any part of it. Okay. Now there has been teams that I've been a part of where that's fine. I know this individual, they do their work and they leave. There's other organizations I've been a part of where I cannot accept that. If I'm taking a team into combat and the ex the expectation that I will set on them is that they have to be able to deal with the unexpected and they have to believe that they can overcome it no matter what it is, then an individual like that who's limited just by the, the vocabulary that they're going to use can be toxic inside of an organization and they have to leave now that they might be able to move to a different job. I might be able to find anything else, but, but they can't be in there. And as leaders, we need to understand the requirements of our teams. You know, I was listening to uh, another great podcast uh, about NCAA coaching and the coaches on these teams were setting out principles for their teams and then you know, getting these re young recruited players in and 
doing interviews with them. And some of them are the best players in their fields, but they're not a good fit for the values and the way in which their organization is set. They just don't recruit them, even yeah. though they're game-changing individuals. And I think that's very telling. They don't recruit them, even though they're game-changing individuals? Yeah. They might be the best individual in the country, but if they're not going to fit with the principles and the values that the the team has set out for the long term, valuing effort, determination, and dedication above you know individual play and your ability to move on to professional sports, if if those things aren't the things that you fit in, then coaches have to decide whether they're going to be a good fit for the team. Now, to me, you know, I've seen some of the best military whether it's pilots, leaders, technicians in the world. But some of these people I don't want as part of my team because they're going to degrade the overall effort of the team, even though yeah. they might be the best of the best. And I think that unknowing and understanding that is something and knowing and understanding what the values of your organization are will allow you to put in perspective of whether that individual that's just there for the paycheck that's good enough for your team. As a matter of fact, you might say, you know what? Not only do I accept that, I value that. That's that's good. Your team has to be set in the way in which you want. Now, but don't expect that when push comes to shove and you need extra hours or extra effort or this individual to- That's the thing, yeah. In, but you've set an expectation for your team. You're happy with that. You, you now need to be accountable enough to live with that. And if you ask something different from those individuals- then you're the one that's stepping into the wrong here. Right, right, right. So if I had that as my team's foundation, then part of my team building would be, how do we work more efficiently? Because we're here, uh, we're getting paid for X amount of time to do X amount of work. So how do we make sure that we don't have overtime? How do we make sure that we get everything done on time so that we're all done when we're supposed to be done and we get to live the rest of our lives that day yeah. and that, and and then for some people that is a value as you said you know i've i've got kids uh being there for my son's football practice being there for my daughter's dance class or reverse those two uh is very important to me i don't want to be driven working late nights on major uh transformational deadlines i just want to go in do a real nice job good and fast and put in my 100 percent full value get my full value and spend the other 16 hours of my day doing the other things that are also important to me so adam i think you've hit it right on the head and we've seen it whether it's you know the great resignation how we see millennials and uh, gen z approach to work-life balance how we see their approach to advancement. And I think that wanting a clear lifestyle that is sustainable, that, you know, embraces all of those great things in life is what a lot of us seek. My experience has been, there's, there's no real change here in the generations. Like I don't make divisions between generations because even for myself, there was a period when I had young children where it was extraordinarily important for me to be. And I took jobs that would keep me home. I took staff jobs away from flying, away from the, you know, the rim and the rigor of having to always be there so I could be in a more predictable stance. And I think our militaries, our, our big businesses are all going to have to adjust to those realities 
because once that you're frank and open with that and and really value that not just in what you say but that your actions come clean so here's here's an example for you let's use a a quick example when i was in a staff job or when i was in with my squadrons when i was a wing commander so wing royal canadian air force wing about 2000 people uh, approximately seven squadrons dispersed across the the entire country of canada so in so doing, when I set things up, I said to my teams, my squadron commanders, I'm taking all of my leave and here's the schedule when I will be on leave. Show me your leave plans. My expectation is you take 100% of your leave as well. And my expectation is you demand the exact same thing out of your subordinates. And you will set that example the same way I've set it for you. You will give them your schedules. You will show them where you're going on leave. In so doing, it sets an expectation that, no, I'm not working overtime. I'm setting that expectation by example to everybody else that there's a balance to be held so that when the balloon goes up and I need to send a squadron, whether it's you know overseas to Iraq, whether it's to forced firefighting or up north to evacuate people for floods, when I ask the call, I have set the baseline of what balance can be achieved elsewhere. So people say, yes, no, I, I value that. But if you're always asking of them, if it's always about put the work first, it's not going to work. So I think you're bang on, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. So next thing I wanted to cover, and I I believe this is in your your book, but I'd like to explore it a little bit, is there's a duality between being a coach and being a leader. And the more we identify what leadership truly is and how it relates to team building, yeah, you're leading, but you're also doing a lot of coaching. So how do we bring in the skill sets from both these groups in such a way that it's not either mutually contradictory or self-defeating? That's a, that's a great question, Adam. So to me, it was, I've said from the beginning, I think leadership and coaching are both emotional trust relationships. Now, that being said, I think they're two different roles and, and they represent a bunch of different skills. And if we think of this like a quiver of arrows, as leaders, as coaches, as team members, we want to have a variety of skills in our quiver to be able to draw on in any situation. So to me, leading is about moving a team towards a goal. So you can see that you have to have a vision, you have to be able to inspire them moving towards a goal. Okay. But coaching, different from leading, is maximizing an individual or a team and their performance with aspirational goals, but centered on their individual development. So to me, you lead the team towards the goal, but you coach the team towards their success. You see what I mean? The difference in there? Okay. Mm-hmm. So some of the some of the things that we get here to me is, you know, if I'm breaking down a vision into the specific tasks that have to be executed by the team and I'm giving it to the various team members with their different tasks are and breaking that out. That's very management slash leadership technique stuff that, that that has to get done. And it's important that everybody understands that. But at the same time, I haven't necessarily ensured that these people are invested in where we're going. To actually make that investment, people need to see themselves developing within the job. They have to be challenged within the job that they're executing. It can't be just get to A, hand in A, and A is done. If that's the case, then then I worry about, you know, what the nature of that team is. 
because I think everybody wants to see themselves be able to evolve and get into a better place, whether they're being more efficient, like you were saying, or, or whether that goal is something that they can latch on to so that they can see themselves perhaps leading that team in the future. So to me, you have to coach them through that. And by coaching through them, we talked about establishing that relationship, that connection to them. It's more than getting to know them, though. It's establishing a common vocabulary that can link and a narrative that can link between the goals that you're attempting to achieve as a as a team member, as a leader, as an organization, and the development of, of the individuals. You have to listen, and we talked about this from a communication skill point of view, but you have to listen to understand, and then you have to be able to translate not just down, but back up. And, and this is the thing that I see a lot of leaders. They're, they're one-way communication devices, right? In the aviation industry, we used to call them transmit only. And yet they're good at transmitting data down, but they're not really good at taking feedback back up. Listening to understand means that you might have to adjust those goals, especially if you have to adjust based upon the performance of the individuals that you're in. Now, I get back to trust because I think, especially when you're talking about teamwork and, and you know, we started there. So I, th I think it's important we circle back here that the key here is developing good teamwork, but there can be no teamwork without trust. Trust between the members of the team. I think trust starts with the leader because the leader is what's going to set the tone for the culture and what's going to set them on the path towards success. I, I like Charles Feltman's book, The Thin Book of Trust. I'm a military guy, so my lips still move when I read. So <laughs> thin books do help me, right? And in his book of trust, he, he breaks out trust into four distinctions or, you know, components, if you would. First one is competence. And you need to be competent in the thing that you do. And a lot of leaders can get thrust into leadership roles, not knowing anything about this new role. That's easy. You don't have to be the expert. And just because you're the expert doesn't mean you're the best leader. But by studying hard and working hard and listening and engaging the people on the team, you're going to start with getting that competence. And the second one is sincerity. And I find a lot of leaders miss this. You have to mean what you say and say what you mean. Now, you see a lot of leaders out there and they're just spouting the company line. And I watch a lot of leaders, especially as organizations are doing downsizing and what they're not saying can fill volumes. Insincerity is as much in what you don't say than what you do. If you know this plant is going to close and you're not being open and honest and sincere with the people below you, especially if the, the senior leaders have put a gag order on you, then you need to know it doesn't really matter all of the rest of those rules. You are compromising the foundational elements of trust. Next one's reliability, which is you got to follow through on what you say. If you say something, hey, I'm going to fix that. You might not be able to fix that. Being reliable means you circle back and go, I tried, I did this. I, 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 you know what? I told you I was going to fix this. I'm, I'm not giving up here, but I'm giving you feedback right now. You don't have to be the person that solves all the problems to be reliable. You just have to be clear what you're trying to do and how and having that open and frank communication. And then the last portion of trust, I think is the one that a lot of leaders miss as well. And it's care. You have to demonstrate care, not just in your words, but in your actions for the people that are around you, that's peers, leaders, you know, and especially your team. If you don't establish that, that sense of care, a lot of people will say, nobody's listening to what you say. They can 
barely know what you do, but they will care about what you make them feel. And caring is a feeling that people are going to get. So to build those teams, I've, I always focus on establishing those elements of trust. And once you do those things, and we talked about communication, we talked about bringing the team together in a common narrative. Once I pull those things together, I tend to have a pretty good team that can face any kind of adversity because you know I've, set the, I've laid the foundations for how they're going to do that. Yeah. So two things that come to mind, uh, and these may seem somewhat random, but I do think that they tie in, especially when we're talking about culture and how this relates to basically the foundation of organizations is uh, a longtime friend of mine, one of the few friends I've had since childhood, his whole life has been in the automotive sales industry. I mean, he, I, I think he was uh, selling cars before he was legally allowed to. I mean, because I think you have to be 18 to become a, a sales associate, but he was already selling cars before that. I think that's how much he was into it. So here he is. He's about 25 years old. Uh, he's working for a major dealership. He's their top producer on the floor. And what happens a lot in a lot of industries, and I'm just going to, I'm just, telling you the example of right now is they look and see okay so we need somebody to manage the team to become a manager a sales manager a finance manager uh, a dealership manager let's look and see who who's turning in the highest numbers on sales and that's our obvious candidate well he got promoted to sales manager two weeks later at his request he was put back on the floor because at that point in his life uh, he wasn't ready to manage he didn't understand management it didn't feel natural for him he he felt natural being out on the floor and he went on to continue to be a top producer now fast forward to where we are today because what i just told you was 20 years ago he now i believe is the general manager of a dealership he's either that or the first assistant manager or something like that so management became something natural to him but the first couple times it was tried it just wasn't meeting him where he was right now in his life journey. And I think that's a mistake that some organizations make when they decide to promote from within is they just look at who's doing the best job at the level right below it. They're the obvious candidate. Well, at that point in this guy's life, he wasn't the obvious candidate for management. And he tried it and found out that it wasn't for him. And he requested to be put back on the floor. So, uh, but yet, what we also have is sometimes a pressure that people end up shortcutting their careers because they get promoted that way, and then they really struggle in management. They don't know what questions to ask, who to ask, where to get support, and sometimes that needs to come from outside the organization, and they flail until they get fired. What good does that do? You're bang on, Adam, and I, I hear this all the time. So when I speak to business leaders and, and I ask them about, you know, uh, especially executive leaders about leadership and about their organizations, you hear all sorts of things. But when I ask middle or first time, you know, supervisors or uh, low management, I ask them always the same question. Did you have any preparation before having to take on these new responsibilities? Or did they just say, you were the best performing person. So we just gave you the additional responsibilities. And many of them, these management jobs were layered upon the exact same expectations in terms of performance that they had previously with no additional time to be able to do these things. Uh -huh. 
So I, I think that there's a bunch of things going on. So if I, we used your friends, that, that, that example, there's three things that I think about. First one is competence at doing a job doesn't really necessarily mean they're the best individual for the job. I mean, a lot of people, and, and I mean, from a management job and a leadership job, just because you're the best pilot, just because you're the best basketball player, just because you're the best salesman doesn't necessarily make you best fit for being a leader. So that's the first thing. Now that's, that doesn't necessarily negate you from that either, right? The second thing here is that I think institutions and organizations owe people a certain amount of preparation for what it means to take on management skills. A lot of people just think that they should just get into a job and pick it up. And that's what I see the vast majority of first-time supervisors into, is that they were given no real training or any, they had to do it all themselves. If, if you thought it was important, then you'd give it to yourself. And I found this fascinating. In the Canadian military, I found the same thing. Used to always say you have to be fit to fight, but your entire physical training regimen was done, excuse me, on your own time. It was the yeah. same thing with second language training. We all have to be fluent English and French, and yet all of our second language training was on your own time. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, Canada is a bilingual country, so you'd be you'd be thinking, well, if I'm if I'm serving Canada, uh, that a a, a, lang a country that is bilingual, well, since it's part of my job to be truly bilingual, wouldn't they kind of make that a condition? of my employment, so to speak, and provide me resources, test me on my knowledge of both languages, send me back for retraining if my French was falling off, for example? They do, but the problem is none of it takes away from the tempo of the job you already have. So you have to make yeah. tough choices. The good leaders are the ones that take off the edge. So if if I had a squadron leader whose job was, you know, he had to get back his French profile because we are tested and we always were on, and there's certain rank gates that you have to meet certain bilingual um, expectations and standards. And then what I would do is I'd say, right here, I'm, I know you're not going to do it to yourself because I'm going to do it. Here's what I'm going to take off your plate. Here's the things I don't want you to do because this is important for your development, but you don't see a lot of leaders doing that. You need an MBA, go out and get one. Well, how am I supposed to get one? I don't know, but nothing changes with your job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're doing your MBA on your own time. Now, the last thing, and I think this is really interesting. I'd love to chat to your friend about how he felt about this. Each person develops in their own time. We have too many people that think that they have to be, you know, well, the U.S. military promoted C.Q. Brown as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs just a little while ago. And, and yeah. I know I know C.Q. Brown. And I worked with him uh, when he was the commander of the Pacific Air Forces and the United States Air Force. And, and, you know, nobody was telling CQ, you have to move faster. You have to go to the top. They let him develop in his own time so that he could be a squadron leader when it, when it best suited him. And there's going to be some people that all they make it to is, you know, that sales job or all they make it to is that first management job. And that's, but that's where they're best. And that's where they're, maybe it's because of their family situation and that's, they're comfortable with the amount of time or, or maybe that's just the potential that they have in them. By, by getting to know people, you'd be able to see where they fit best. I'll give you a little anecdote. When I was a young officer cadet just coming into the military on my first primary flight school, I met the chief ground school instructor there was one of my first mentors. And we were six ranks apart. 
uh, and he was a senior officer, very seasoned helicopter pilot, had been doing stuff for years. And 20 years later, I replaced him in his job at the same rank. Now, that meant that he had literally moved one rank in 20 years, whereas I'd moved, you know, seven. But the, the difference is, is that he knew that he was the best at that one rank. The organization knew that. He was very happy there, and he was the best at it. He didn't have the potential to go beyond that, but he was, you know, everybody went and got his opinion on everything that's around that. And that's that's something that we need to value as an organization. That Your friend was probably the best general manager because he knew in and out everything about sales and how it interfaced with servicing and how, you know, he seasoned himself in that and, and he got there when he was comfortable. The question you right. have to ask yourself is if that organization, that that sales company had have given him training on how to develop his leadership skills, if he would have been able to make that first jump or whether he would have advanced quicker or not. Yeah. Okay. So my second thing I was going to share, and you actually make even more relevant because you mentioned MBA programs and things like that is I also have an MBA. I went to Duquesne university in Pittsburgh and have my MBA with a concentration in human resource management how that translated into become a guy who launches podcasts. Well, that's a story for another day. However, however, uh, when I first started the MBA program, I uh, had been unemployed for 10 weeks by choice because, damn it, I just needed a summer to enjoy myself. You know, I busted my ass my whole life. So started the MBA program and I thought, okay, I'm going to start picking up some temp jobs, maybe uh, look inside some companies and find a place where I might want to apply to work on a full-time basis. Well, the first temp job I got was with a company that people who've been around the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania scene will remember from a long time ago called Free Markets. And uh, they had a tuition reimbursement program where they were sending a lot of their mid-management people or the folks that they wanted to develop to Duquesne University's MBA program uh, uh, funded by tuition reimbursement programs. So naturally, the way MBA programs work is uh, the companies that send all the students are viewed as the best practice models. I think you can connect the dots on that one. <laughs> so my tenure at, at free markets lasted exactly 16 days. I can even remember from Tuesday, September 11th, 2020 to Thursday, September 27th, 2020, 11 to 27. And uh, the day that they ended the assignment, I remember um, uh, my supervisor was uh, this guy. He, he was actually a retired Marine and he, uh, spoke so much about fidelity. And what I remember about him most is he uh, he liked to talk about his service a lot in some of the lessons. Uh, he, he was that mentor type. And he would say, never look a person in the eye and lie. So what I remember about him is how he looked me right in the eye when he lied and said he'd see me the next day. <laughs> After he had already made the call to my temp agency then the assignment, which I didn't find out about until afterwards. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So um, during my time there, I discovered a couple of things. Now, it, it was funny. I worked in the mailroom, believe it or not. So part of my responsibility is I got to see basically the entire company every single day because I did deliveries. And uh, I picked up little things and conversations and things like that that gave me some clues of some stuff that was going on behind the press releases, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and during my time there. 
in my journeys throughout that big building that they were leasing, I made myself a, a lady friend. Uh, it lasted two months, and it was fun. Uh, but I asked her about it, and she said, oh, yeah, you were a temp. You weren't going to be there more than three weeks. They cycle out their temps so that nobody stays long enough to figure out any of their secrets. It wasn't personal. Wow. It's like, it's like, okay, fine. I can get that. The paranoia around a, a tech startup. I get it. All right. So I, so that, so, and, and I, and I, uh, very quickly had found another temp job, which then turned into, um, the permanent job that I had throughout my, MB, the rest of my MBA and beyond. So I, I wasn't that bent, bent up about it, although I really liked working there. Well, I think it's because of the lady friend, but anyway, um, so, Let's fast forward to um, um, uh, I'm going across the street to my classes at Duquesne University, and uh, there was this uh, one class where every 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 week uh, the professor would have somebody come in, uh, a business leader from one of the major companies in the area, and back to back, he had the HR directors from a company called uh, Ariba, A R I B A. And a company called, well, Free Markets, which we're discussing. The Ariba guy showed up in a finely pressed, bespoke, tailored suit and gave a dazzling presentation about uh, about their philosophies and their practices when it came to team building, etc. And the Free Markets guy came in the next week. Uh, he looked like he had just inhaled a bong, uh, was dressed accordingly, uh, opened up his presentation by saying that he had his title changed so that the the, um, the Society for Human Resource Management would stop bugging him. Yeah, great thing to say when you're in the HR field. And then he spent most of the time talking about his love of canoeing. Now, between what I saw behind the press releases and that back-to-back experience, I said, Ariba will buy free markets. And yeah. uh, and I I got ripped up and down for saying that out loud because god forbid i say something negative about one of the major sources of their students under tuition reimbursement programs well son of a gun guess what happened <laughs> yep yeah ariba bought free markets and then sap bought ariba so you go to a web browser today and i tested this while i was listening to you uh like i knew i was going to share the story i typed in www.freemarkets.com and redirect 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 you're on sap's website uh, specifically pointing to the SAP Ariba product, which uh, SAP has owned since the year 2012. Wow. Yeah. So what I got out what I got out of that is kind of related to what you said earlier, which is why I'm thinking about it. That there are sometimes things beneath the surface that, if you are unable to surface them, will rot your foundation. And some of the things I saw behind the press release had a lot to do with teamwork and people feeling like they were being left out. You know, Adam, when I hear you talk about that, and it's a fantastic, fantastic analogy for why fundamentals, you know, the basics mean so much. So when I was structuring my thought process around leading and coaching, I'm a basketball coach. So how you pivot your balance how you pass, how, you know, how you see the floor spacing, the yeah. fundamentals, they mean something. And and I always love that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to, to studying the fundamentals and almost just about anything, whether it's business or, or anything else. When you're thinking about a team, what the team values, what their mission is, what is the culture in terms of the behaviors 
of that team. Because you can have a great strategy, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. If, if you lay those foundations well, and this is why as a leader, I like the idea of adding coaching skills to leaders so that they see themselves in the second row, enabling their team's excellence. By, by doing those things, by getting to know the teams, by establishing trust, you know, through those those various elements that we talked about already. Those are the things that Ariba and now SAP, and I've dealt with significantly with SAP as as a company. Oh, okay. So we're talking about we're talking about Nangel, you know. That's great. Absolutely. You know, they're going to perform better because the members of their team a feel valued by the organization feel that they can develop themselves as part of the organization they trust the organization's core principles because the people and especially the leaders in that organization act in line with their values in line with how they want the culture of the organization to be sap i watched that organization develop software for us when we were bringing on the chinook into Canada and, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart, I was the first wing commander to bring back the Chinook, which had been out of our inventory for a good many years. And it, we were having a problem with them, uh, and with uh-huh. the program that had been set in place. And I had to sit down at a very uncomfortable meeting with the Canadian, uh, VP of, um, SAP. Oh, his go in was, I don't think we can do this. And I said, well, you know, I, and I explained the operational necessities in pretty, clear and stark terms. And he said, now that's my impression, but here's the guys that you need to trust. And he turned to one of, and he pointed at Joe, which is, you know, this guy five down the, their side of the table. And Joe started asking questions and we started answering them. And then about halfway through, you know, the, the VP just interrupted for a second and he goes, this is a great conversation. I can see that we have a solution set here. You know, he, he trusted that individual. He was listening hard. He didn't wait for the end answer. He already had a feeling and a sense. And uh-huh. he, my esteem for that company went through the roof. They were willing to come invested in what we were trying to do. All I was giving them was this aircraft is going into harm's way. People's lives are going to rely on what you're going to do. And this is what I needed in terms of a functionality. But he provided all of the rest of the cultural things to that team to enable their success. Wow, that is awesome. And, uh, you know, it's and just to cap this off, just that level of enthusiasm, that VP was feeling what was going on and just couldn't wait his turn. Because he captured that vibe. Yeah, he was aligned with the team. He had already set them the challenge of being there. He brought the right experts to, it wasn't, it wasn't just a political meeting. It wasn't a contractual thing. It wasn't, he was there to solve a problem. And if we could solve the problem, he was, he was ready to say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that we can get here. I think if, if you guys can have a conversation, if it can get to a level where I'm comfortable, boom. And the level of trust that he says you know, his expert hasn't even got to the solution. He's, I'm confident that we can get there. He's in a in a public forum showing and acting on the trust that he has already given to his team. 
And all they want to yeah. do is fulfill that trust that he's already set for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this point, what I want to do is I want to extend an invitation on your behalf. And I encourage all of our listeners, if anything you've heard today piques your interest or you want to go deeper into team building, you want to get beyond the cheesy team building exercises. And part of the conversation you heard during this mastermind session between Scott and myself about some of the underlying issues and what drives team building and the coaching leadership thing, uh, visit his website. It's Scott Clancy, spelled C-L-A-N-C-Y, scottclancy.ca, scottclancy.ca. That's a Canadian domain. And when you get to that website, it's pretty straightforward. Among the things you're going to find are Scott's free guide the time management and some tools on how to thoughtfully prepare for whatever it is you're going you're going to do. So um, go there, get that. And I mentioned at the very beginning, he's got a book out. It's called Developing Coaching Leaders, The Fundamentals and Techniques That Make Leaders Extraordinary. You can go there. You can find more about it. There's even an interview with uh, with another podcast whose host is also named Adam, so a man I already feel I know on a first-name basis, where you can sort of get sort of a preview of what's going on there. And then you can go get the book on Amazon. So go ahead, check that out. Again, that's scottclancy.ca. And with that, Scott Clancy, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and, believe me, an education. Adam, I've had a wonderful time. Your energy is infectious. Absolutely. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>